This is the Microsoft Libraries and Museums podcast, a show dedicated to exploring digital transformation with organizations from around the world. I'm Emily Kotecki. In season two, we are doing a deep dive into different aspects of digital transformation. Today, we're going to dive into education with Dr. Helen Charman, Director of Learning and National Programs at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. Helen, thank you so much for being here. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Emily. Helen, let's begin with your department. From your perch in your role, what are you overseeing and what are you responsible for? So my division uh, is called the, the Learning and National Programs, and we drive forward creative practice, creative education through design of applied creativity for the VA. So in the division, we have uh, the interpretation team, we have our national programs team, we have the learning and digital team, and the clue is in the name. And we're going to talk about that later on, but the absolute underpinning role of digital in museum learning, uh, increasingly obviously after the, the uh, experience of the pandemic, but for, for us at the VA, actually it, it predates that. Um, we have our academy programme, which is our adult learning, and then we have our soon-to-be-transformed uh, former Museum of, of Childhood, big capital project undergoing yeah, transformation at the moment, reopening in 2023. Wow, so you oversee <laughs> a lot. And in this particular, in this last year, this last 18 months may have been the biggest year that we've ever seen when it comes to digital programming. What yes. was your department's response? How did you creatively respond to the yes. crisis that unfolded? Yes. Well, now this may sound somewhat perverse and counterintuitive, but actually <laughs> we, saw, we saw it as an amazing innovation opportunity. I mean, and how. But I would say that as, as I mentioned before, we had learning and digital as an integrated piece before the pandemic struck. We were running digital skills courses across the portfolio. Um, we programmed digital design weekend every September, sitting within the London Design Festival. One of the things I did when I was first uh, appointed three years ago was lead the development of a new flagship program for schools, which is called VNA Innovate, which was a digital first. Uh, and that's a national design challenge for 11 to 14 year olds. However, then we get to February, March last year, and really the underpinning ethos for our division is something we call designerly learning. So we are, what does that mean? It means that we are user-centered. It means that we are, we try to think divergently, we're outward focused. So, you know, we work with our collections to catalyze engagement and with our creative practitioners, but we're very much grounded in real world context. We are about meeting needs, interests, motivations, opportunities, and um, thirdly, we have a, a principle around working in an experimental and iterative way. So what I think I'm saying is that, you know, we are problem solvers and we like a problem. So actually, and I remember that it was March 15, 2020. So it was the last day that the full division were in. So we all just decided we were going to harness this moment to see how we could make it into um, an opportunity to think differently about our practice. Where were we still married to some of the orthodoxies of museum practice? What could we do differently in ways that matter? And so then you know, we, we created you know, bibliographies, we shared courses that people might want to do, interesting people that to, to speak to, webinars, et cetera, really thought about it as an R&D opportunity. And then from that, we've then seen a, a wonderful, I won't say a transformation because we already were working in, in this way, but a, a lot of 
fresh approaches and incredibly sort of creative practice wholesale across the portfolio. And um, it's it's been incredible. And I've got a couple of examples I could speak to now on that. Yes, I was just going to ask, let's dive in <laughs> further. So kind of what happened? What's an example that you could share of, of that creative thinking, of that innovative yes. thinking? So I've got a couple here. So we'll start with our, the Academy program, which I talked about. So this is our paid for adult learning program before the pandemic, um, you know, hugely popular, but the reach, these were classes that were taught long courses, either a week or a 12 week course, um, underpinned by art and design history, um, with also some creative making opportunities, uh, but taught you know, on site. But we were mainly pulling in our learners from London and the Southeast. Hmm. Now, fast forward 15 months, we did an entire pivot and actually used MS Teams as our um, virtual learning environment. And I would say our head of academy, Ian Ellard, would, you know, I'm sure Microsoft would want to sort of snap him up because he now has the most kind of incredible <laughs> forensic working knowledge, as does his team, who are now you know, producers in this space. And we now have, looking at some of the stats on this, so our 12-week courses now um, on MS Teams generate 34,000 hours of student engagement per term. Our learners come from all around the world, uh, and this is equivalent to 27,000 exhibition visits. Um, we sell out our courses. We're working now with 1,100 to 1,200 students a week. You know, 55% of our learners are outside London, 15% are from outside the UK. You know, you can do this in real time or asynchronically. 60% of learners actually join live, 40% uh, on demand. You know, 60% say they wouldn't have been able to have attended the course had it been live in the museum. Now, that is extraordinary. So it's the impact there on our reach and access, but also creatively how we can use MS Teams actually as that virtual learning environment. You know, the chat function, the coffee break. And we've actually realised you can create a fantastically sort of intimate learning community in these spaces. And there's been a lot of learning and we're now getting down to really refining the learner experience. So again, for us, it's about how do we use the affordances of digital to create a really enriching, high quality education experience for our learners. So that's the piece for the adult learners. And then can I can I give you one more example? Yes, absolutely. I and mean, as you can see, we could talk, we could talk for hours around this because it really is a space of, um, of innovation. So for our schools programs, we are a national institution. Um, and so, you know, we have BNA Innovate, which was our, the digital first program, which existed before the pandemic, but obviously has continued to run over the last year. And I would say hats off to all those teachers who, you know, who entered. We had over, I think, about 200 students um, participating last year when education was so disrupted. Um, but we still had this uh, body of teachers wanting to take the challenge um, and sort of you know, push forward on design education. So that was fantastic. But we also shifted our on-site workshops for schools into a programme called Virtual Classroom. And this has been in just fantastically successful. We could fully book that out probably three times over. And these are live interactive sessions that are delivered by our design educators, some of our former um, designers and artists and residents. And we use Zoom for this one. We use Google Earth, we use Miro, we use Padlet. You know, we're going to flex across whatever platforms are appropriate to meet the needs and interests of the participants. And we run these for um, primary students, for secondary students. We use um, GoPro cameras for sort of close up on objects. We use light boxes to, to teach drawing activities. You know, and we're learning an enormous amount about digital pedagogies and how to make the most of being in this 
particular space. And I think it's fair to say we've been pretty surprised actually by the just the kind of the creative scope actually. And it's refreshed a lot of our thinking, a lot of our practice. And we won't be going back to purely just the on-site. Of, of course, we wouldn't do that because this has proved to be uh, very successful and sort of impact and, and reach on learners. And we want to continue to build on that. So what does that look like? I mean, are people's job descriptions changing? What do they do with those programs that might've been, maybe we'll just call them legacy programs pre-pandemic? Are you thinking that those programs, they were good then, but we have to go in an entirely new direction? Mm-hmm. I think mostly things will be different, actually, looking here, because it's been, we've learned so much and it's been so successful. It's not that we won't be doing on-site programming, but we'll think very carefully about what is the added, the added value of the on-site programming and how do we retain that reach and access that we built up and, the, and new audiences over the last year. But certainly the portfolio will look significantly different um, than it did a year ago. And the other important piece there is this massive upskilling that's happened in terms of professional skills across the team. And, you know, we're now fluent across various platforms. We can adapt to meet our user needs. We're learning so much about digital pedagogies. We're looking at sort of research partnerships uh, in those fields. There's just an, an enormous amount to gain. And the other thing also to add um, I mean, it's been an exciting year, Emily. You know, I'm just going to say, is your head is your head just <laughs> spinning with all these different changes that are happening? And I guess how do you how do you keep it all not straight but strategic, right? Because with yes. digital, because it's like a universe where it could keep expanding. Yes. How do you keep it strategic? Yes, I mean, I would say also at this point, it's very important. Obviously, this is not me. This is my absolutely exceptional, brilliant teams and colleagues. I mean, they're not my socks off. You know, the way that everyone has adapted and has grasped this as an opportunity is, is just incredible because we all know the massive strains and stresses that the pandemic has placed on, on all of us individually, families, communities. So I do think it's extraordinary that we've seen such a kind of creative energy and innovation um, across the division. I suppose to your, and it's a really important question about the strategy piece. So again, with our ethos of designly learning, That third principle was about working experimentally and sort of iteratively. And what that means is that everyone was given permission and how to try things out. Just have a go. You know, all bets are off (laughs) at the moment. If ever they were, you know, last year, my goodness. I hope that my heads of teams and colleagues across those teams were able to feel that they could try things out. We would see where things would land. And then we could start to build more strategically on which elements need a bit more investment, a little bit more um, time to work out and which ones we could continue to run with and which ones we thought, actually, well, we tried that and that didn't really work. So we'll just sort of park that for now. As the institution as a whole, we have a sort of short term, the year ahead, because we know that we're obviously we're not out of the pandemic yet, far from it. So we will have um, another year ahead, which is sort of a transitional phase, but starts to really put in place some of the foundations for the programming portfolio as we move ahead. And then we look at the next sort of three to five years. But as I said earlier, you know, really, we see so much um, innovation and creativity in the digital space that it's been a very timely opportunity to quite substantively and significantly shift our thinking and our practice. And we're not going to relinquish that. When you look ahead, what do you feel like you're up against? What are the challenges that you foresee and how are you trying to navigate around those? Oh, it's hard to think about challenges. It's not, I, I, opportunities. Well, on the one hand, 
this is interesting, isn't it? There will be a challenge about confidence for our learners to come back on site, um, just sort of to step away for, back into the sort of the real world from the away from the digital. So I think there there will be that. Um, there will be the challenge of balancing the digital and the on-site learning. So we have a portfolio which speaks to the opportunities and the affordances of both. And underneath all of this is the question around how do we move forward sustainably? We can't do everything, but we now know after 15 months of a kind of test and learn what's well received and where we need to build. And if anything, we have more opportunity to amplify our reach and what that looks like in, in practice. Outside of your role, from what I understand, you also teach courses at several universities around London, around design thinking and education. When you think about the future and these emerging museum leaders, what are some of the maybe one or two key skills that you feel like you want to impart to them, maybe at this point, especially because of all the all the experiences and learnings that you've had in the last year? Now, I'm going to answer that in a way that's probably a little bit abstract. But I think the main skills, are they skills or are they aptitudes, um, are about you know, being innovative, entrepreneurial, adaptable. Obviously, the last year has been difficult for organisations to thrive, but to flourish in a very fast changing, complex world where you know, digital is absolutely seminal. You know, this will be the first, for, for the majority, the first way that visitors will engage with the museum so on the one hand it's a mindset look for the opportunities try things out you know embrace risk and then on the hard and fast skills piece it is about um, digital fluency you know not just digital literacy but actually something that's more developed and sophisticated and in-depth than, than it has been hitherto and it's an area that I've developed um, identified in my own professional development you know that I need to to work on I think museum professionals need to really embrace this don't see digital as something separate in the, in the old days only 20 years ago it was the same with education education was the sort of lean-to on the edge of museums and now it isn't it's absolutely understood that it is a fundamental you know, it's in the DNA of our cultural organizations and that's you know it's taken a while for that to dawn on our on, our, on colleagues but I think we see the same thing now with digital but it's happening much faster. You mentioned earlier that digital was part of the DNA in your department and so how does education support that goal of digital transformation and you mentioned that it's not transforming overnight this has actually been a process but how do you see overall in that transformative process education supporting that goal? Yes, I think often you know, education will be the space where things can be space for experimentation. And because we work directly with our, with our learners, you know, the user-centered approach, it means that we can develop approaches which uh, we can have confidence in because they're tried and tested and we know that they meet need. If we're not relevant, it's not happening. <laughs> and that goes across the board. And I would say there's actually a lovely quote I found from a learner on one of our um, academy courses who, and they would get up at 5.30 a.m. to sort of log on because they wanted to do the, the courses live. Brilliant to be part of that live community. And um, they said, there's a, perhaps there is a silver lining to social distancing and COVID-19, which has stirred up this kind of quality innovative programming. It is transportive, transformational, and wonderful to have access to brilliant scholars. When the world is righted again, whenever that is, I do hope you will continue to offer this type of access. 
And I think to your question really around, well, what can the education space do? It can offer a space that's transportive, transformational and wonderful. You know, and isn't that what, I mean, we all need it now more than ever, but, you know, really that's what we want our cultural organisations to, to offer our visitors. Well, Dr. Helen Charman, Director of Learning and National Programs at the Victoria and Albert Museum, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Emily. It's been a real pleasure. At the end of every episode, we hear from Catherine Devine, Global Business Strategy Leader for Libraries and Museums at Microsoft. Catherine, thank you for joining us. What did you hear in today's conversation around education? Well, thank you so much, Emily and Helen. What an amazing conversation. And um, I so love your enthusiasm, Helen. Um, It is great. I am sure there are lots of people who would love to come work in your team, but it sounds amazing. I really appreciate how much the V&A has leaned into um, this idea of thinking what we call beyond the walls, thinking beyond just having programs and really embracing it by the sound of it, thinking beyond programs that are actually happening in the physical museum because it does limit access. None of us intended to, to limit access, but inadvertently we do. There are lots of reasons why people can't come to London, including the fact they just live in another country. They could have disabilities, they could have family care, and we all know this. We can do more things virtually and have access to more things than we could if we actually have to travel around uh, to all of these places. So it's good for the world, it's good for education, it's just goodness on so many levels. But what I think I'm really hearing out of this team is how much they have really, to use a Microsoft term, leaned in to thinking about this and how to have an impact. What amazing numbers Helen is talking about. 34,000 hours of engagement on a 12-week program, which I don't know what the numbers were for in-person, but I'm going to assume that the numbers were substantially less than that. She said that it was equivalent of 27,000 exhibitions. I mean, that's the kind of magnitude that we've been leaving on the table when it comes to furthering our missions. If our missions are about taking our message to the world, digital has to be part of that story. But what I see coming from Helen is how potentially the conversation is actually flipped where digital is the first front door to the museum. It's now no longer just the physical. The physical is one channel in a larger V&A experience. So there is just so much goodness here. And then, you know, the embracing of schools. Um, I'm so excited about what they're doing. I'm excited about what everyone is doing throughout this whole podcast, but even I who live in this world and, and all of us that live in this world, you know, continually to be inspired. So thank you so much for the conversation. This was fabulous. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you again to Dr. Helen Charman. And thank you to all of our listeners. A new episode of the Microsoft Libraries and Museums podcast will be released every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Emily Kotecki.